Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday, February the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2024. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz, my co-host. Hello, Wes. Hello, Tom. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling very good, and the weather is really interesting for winter, is it not? Yeah, it's supposed to be a high of 60 degrees here today. Wow. We're supposed to have a high of 70. Uh, Yesterday... I preached at two congregations, and it was quite warm, so we got there and got back home around 11 o'clock, and so everything worked out pretty good. Good. You have a very interesting email from a Robin Schumacher, and he entitles it, for many people, they believe you cannot be holy and happy. He has had many conversations with non-Christians. And what is one of the primary reasons that non-Christians reject Christianity? Well, they talk about bad experience with religion, and in particular, professing Christians who look nothing like Christ in their behavior. It can be summed up in Gandhi, the Indian leader. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, I find that really interesting. You know who that reminds me of? Today's Christians? It reminds me of Jesus' disciples. Hmm. Why is that? Were they like Jesus? <laughs> not hardly not when you got uh, Christ looking at Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. Well said. And they did not want him dealing with a woman who needed help. They did not want him troubling little children, and many other things that he had to reprimand them for. And see, that's the difference. Jesus is our Redeemer, not members of the congregation. What do every member of the congregation confess at the beginning of the worship service? Well, they confess their sins, and it always starts out, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquity. It kind of reminds me of um, a lady that I had confirmed into the church. She was working on bringing her husband to, and he he said, uh, they don't want me. He says, "I'm, I'm such a horrible person. And she looked at him and said, move over and join the rest of us. Well said. Yes. See, that's something that Gandhi just didn't recognize. He likes our Christ, but not the Christian. Yet, there's going to be something happening to Christians 
after they die, what are they going to become like? Well, they're going to become like saints without, without sin. They're going to become like Christ. Right. Kind of reminds me of a uh, uh, schizophrenic that I called upon at, at a nursing home. And we got her on the right medications. And as time went on, she said, I still hear the voice that's bothering me. And I said, well, I'm afraid you're going to have it till the day you die. She said, what do you mean the day till the day I die? Well, I said, you're a believer in Jesus. She said, yes. And he covers your sins, she asked. I said, when you go to heaven, You'll be like Christ, and you won't have that anymore. So the first reason that some non-Christians reject Christianity is they don't like Christians in the church, which makes no sense to me, because we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal wrath and eternal punishment, and we rely on the work of Jesus Christ to save us. So that's the first thing that people reject about Christianity. But in our day, there's another reason that some people reject the Christian lifestyle. And what is that? Well, there's the moral demands, the feeling is that in the day, in and day out light of the Christian, it's not fun, but rather dulcery filled with denial of every pleasurable available. No fulfilling sex, no meaningful possessions, no nothing. And who wants that? Well said. And so what is the devil's lie? Well, the devil's lie is you can't be holy and happy has likely run through the heads of everyone present with the claims of Christianity, including yours and mine, to be honest. Yes, the tempter says that to be fulfilled, you have to cast off God's moral framework. Live how you want. Then you'll be happy. Now, initially, it sounds good. But what is the problem? We're not happy. You know, exactly. there was a Gallup poll that was taken a number of years ago. Unhappiness is now at a record high. People feel more anger, sadness, pain, worry, and stress than ever before. And I see that in a lot of my contacts with unrepentant sinners. Uh, gay people, those who've had an abortion, those who are contemplating suicide. Why would you want to contemplate suicide if you're happy by living your own life rather than the life of God? Mm. So the study resulted in a book by Gallup called blind spot. And what did the author say? Well, global misery was rising well before the pandemic. 
In fact, happiness has been steadily climbing for a decade, and its rise has been in the blind spot of almost every world leader. Uh, not happiness, but unhappiness. Right. That has been rising during the last decade. You know, even Elmo came out and said that, too, was asking people how they were feeling. And the replies to his recent suite is what? Elmo is just what? You were just checking in. How's everybody doing? And it ended up getting bumped. Uh, boiled down to a point that one person was making. Yeah, everyone seems to be at their breaking point. How is that helpful for a pastor to know that in the preparation of a sermon? Well, if he knows where, where his congregation is at in that particular point, he can apply the, the correct scripture to it. Come unto me that, that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well said. In other words, a pastor not only needs to be well-trained from the seminary in theological matters, but he has to understand his congregation. If you have a congregation where you hardly have any children and people are older, your sermons are going to be different than if you have a congregation with families and in your Sunday school are maybe 30 or 40 children. What would the difference be? Well, it's a difference in the message. It reminds me of a, of a pastor who took over our congregation, and they weren't bringing the young people to church, and the older people, the grandparents and that, and aunts and uncles were asking how we're going to get the kids back in. So we went and talked to them. And you know what the number one reason was that they didn't come? No. The old people complained that there was too much noise in the back of the church. And he said, just bring them in. I'll deal with it. So they did, and the kids, of course, were noisy, and the older generation started complaining. They said, there's just too much noise during the sermon. And I said, you, you he, he told me, he said, you liked it when it was, when, when uh, didn't like it when it was quiet. Now it's got plenty of people in there, kids. Now it's noisy, and you don't like that. Which do you prefer? the kids in the church or not. So we'll take the kids. You know, it's very important when a congregation decides to build a church building. There are certain things uh, over my experience, especially uh, with my situation of an illness that churches need to be aware of. Uh, one of them, is that when you drive up to the church, there should be an overhang so you can get out of the car without being in the rain. Second of all, if you have different floors, like a basement, 
there should be a way for the handicap to get down there apart from steps, either an elevator or a ramp going down. At my congregation I was at for 28 years, we had a ramp outside down to the lower level. And you know what we used it for? We used it for elections of the president of the United States. And we would have long lines of people coming down the ramp into the basement where the election took place. And you know what I did? They had to go by the kitchen door when they entered into the church. What was I doing at the kitchen door? Cup of coffee and a roll. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Yeah. We sold two to three hundred dollars worth of hot dogs when they were coming the into castles? the church. No white castles? No, because you gotta pay for those. <laughs> uh, so unhappiness is now at a record high. And that is found in the Bible that when we are not following the will of God, then we will not have the happiness that comes from following the Holy Spirit. And there will be a breaking point, and that's pretty bad. So people reject Christianity because how do they think? Well, how do they think? You can't be happy being a Christian. Well, it says that it won't let them live in a way that make them happy. But when they live the way they want, are they happy? No. That, that yes. was the conclu conclusion of the Gallup poll, that uh, they're, just not un they're just unhappy, period. Exactly. You know, it kind of reminds so, me of uh, stories you read in the newspaper about people winning the lottery, millions of dollars. They go out and buy fancy homes and cars and that. In a few years, they're broke and they're unhappy. Boy, if that isn't true. Yes, living with a lottery, you think you'd be happy. But no, that's not quite true. So, we could reply with a game of what if. What does that mean? Well, what if by our very nature, we have the wrong desires that causes us to love bad things that lead to rotten outcomes and results in us being ultimately happy? But what if God can change our nature so that we have the right desires it causes us to love good things in the right way that leads to positive outcomes and results in us being truly happy. Yes, I remember David in the Psalms. What did he pray for? Create what? Now created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. 
You see, the right spirit is what leads to happiness, even in the times of great grief. How does that occur in a funeral service properly done? Well, it's uh, it, it, it's talking about how we have passed away and the new person has come. It reminds me of a pastor who, who I heard recently do a sermon about the, the death of, of his member. And he talked about it from the time he was baptized, confirmed, lived out his life in, in the church that... Uh, his life was found in Christ. He still had problems, but those problems could be dealt with as he trusted in the promises of Jesus Christ. That's a good point you bring out because um, the, the deceased died of an illness and he knew that that illness could claim his life. He had been diagnosed four or five years earlier and he knew that it would one day claim him, but that didn't stop him from going to church, communing, living out his life with his family and his grandchildren and things of that nature. Yes. You know, it's tough to admit we're flawed and we make mistakes. And that's why a lot of people don't come to church, because they don't want to hear the law. And we don't want to blame ourselves we want to blame others but what did c.s lewis write about that well he, he wrote that believing is is a real right and wrong and means finding out that you're not very good so instead of pointing the fingers in every direction as most people do today except towards the person in the mirror so he, he would say you would have to begin by looking in the mirror and looking at yourself. Yes. And when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Yourself. And that is a sinner. Well, I'm not a sinner right now. Why? Because I have the blood of Christ covering my sins, I believe that Jesus died upon the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. You know, that you got that beautiful passage in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes. So when it comes to our human operating system, the Bible has an interesting way of describing our moral being. What does Romans 6 say about that? Well, when you were slaves of sin, you were free You were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, you have benefit where you been deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed. Yes. And Romans 6 is very important to remind us that in Christ, we become ashamed of doing our own works rather mm -hmm. than trusting in the works of Jesus Christ. 
originally we were free in regard to righteousness. What does that mean? You were free in regard to righteousness. Before before sin, we did not know sin. We were sitting in righteousness, were we not? Yes. So we started out with another master, and that master was what? Well, our master was the devil, the Satan, and, our, and ourselves. Yes. And we love to obey that master. In other words, what sin is, is making ourselves to be God and replacing his word with what we want to do. The cure for this is a swap. What's the swap? Well, righteousness for sin, and it's only accomplished by the supernatural rebirth, which we find in John 3, or to David's request in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So the Christian has two hearts. The one is the sinful heart, which most people who reject Christianity only look at. But the other is the newly created heart that wants to help out with the neighbor, the friend, the relatives, uh, the family. So what should parents do at home with their children? Well... Uh, a, de a devotional life or a life in Christ that they show them that uh, they belong to Jesus and they live out their lives in, in their catechism. Exactly. Now, Jesus talks about real happiness, and he talks about it in Matthew 5. What does he say? Well, happy are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Yes. So you're blessed if you are poor in spirit, which means you don't have the ammunition and the works to get you saved. You're poor in that. Does this kind of happiness mean you won't have real enjoyment in your life? Well, far from it. I mean, you, it's how you carry out your life. It uh, reminds me of another passage that he quotes in here of, of, of Ezekiel 36, which talks about our happiness. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and new spirit, and the heart of stone from flesh I will remove and give you a heart of flesh. I mean, it's pretty plain in there how God changes things around in our life. Now, what is he referring to? with this sprinkling of water. 
I found that interesting. Yeah, baptism. You know, and you were talking about what do we teach our kids. I mean, one of the things is to remind them of their baptism that they have in Christ and the Holy Spirit that's entered into their hearts and how their their sins are covered through holy baptism. The fact that following the wisdom of the Holy Spirit brings happiness is clear because what is the gift you're going to receive after you die and go to heaven because of your faith? Well, you got the gift of eternal life in Christ. And you have the gift of full bliss. How how do you understand bliss? Well, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more disease, no more, none of the problems that we, we we encounter today. In other words, to put it another way, only when you are holy are you what? Yeah, are you happy? That's yes. a good point. That's really important to understand. So this article indicates that the two reasons why a lot of people reject Christianity are wrong reasons. The number one is they don't like Christians because they don't act like Christ. But if we acted like Christ all the time, guess what? We wouldn't need Christ. Yeah. Yes. We wouldn't need him because we're already holy. So thanks so very much for helping us with this article, Wes. It's a great understanding of why people reject Christianity and helps pastors prepare sermons to touch the things in their life that are moving them away from the Bible. I'm Tom Baker, and that was Wes Reimitz. Tomorrow, join us for another Law and Gospel teaching. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.